Amen. Good morning, everyone. Praise the Lord. I'm going to see if my, am I working today? Do I have the power? Is it, oh, I do. I have the power. Woo, praise God. All right. Well, you guys, we've been talking here about the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. God tells the people, get ready, because you're going to cross over. You're going to cross over into the promised land. And you know what you need to understand when you're reading things in the Old Testament, there is that we need to put a spiritual application to it. You know, God doesn't command his people now, you don't take up your sword and go start hacking people's heads off, right? Everyone knows this, right? We're not into jihad, okay? We don't do that stuff. We understand that there is a spiritual application, though. So the Old Testament is not something that's done away. We don't, we don't trash the Old Testament and say we don't need that anymore. You need the whole counsel of the Word of God. It's just that we're seeing the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament now. Now we're seeing it through the lens of Jesus. And so it's a whole lot more meaningful to us and has a lot more power to it because we're seeing it through Jesus. Our battle is a spiritual warfare now. We're not physically fighting flesh and blood, but we're fighting in the supernatural. We're fighting, we're fighting in the spiritual realm. Your biggest fight is right up here in your head, right? You're fighting things. You're fighting mindsets. You're fighting ideologies. And, you know, Paul said this, right? We can tear down, we, we tear down strongholds that have set themselves up against, um, against God. And those strongholds are right up here in my head and in your head that we're fighting against. And so there's spiritual implications that we need to apply to lessons we're learning in the Old Testament. We're not crossing over into necessarily a physical territory. We're crossing over into a spiritual realm, a new dynamic and a higher realm. God is always calling you to go from glory to glory. So he wants you to overcome some obstacles in your life. You're overcoming things in your, from your past that have, that have held you back. We as a church have things that we need to overcome, mindsets that we got to kick out so that we can move forward and we can win souls for Jesus. Because our greatest, the greatest thing we're receiving, our inheritance are, is, is souls. Where he says, everywhere you put your foot, it's yours. We're declaring that Pulaski is ours. Green Bay is ours. This area is ours, which means it's for Jesus. We want to see souls transformed and released and set free. And in order to do that, we have to be the church, huh? We have to be the church that's Jesus' church. We have to be Christ-like church, so we have to overcome things. There's things that we have to, that we have to leave behind. God's calling you and your family to new realms of victory, and new, new areas of, of overcoming some things in your family, in your finances, in your marriage, with your kids. He wants to take you to new levels of joy and, and new levels of glory. Amen? And so there's some things that you got to do differently, is what we're learning here, basically, from the book of Joshua. There's things that you can't take with you. You can't drag those things along because like Israel, Israel was always pulled back spiritually. They were always pulled back because they held on to things. God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, but then it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. And some of us still got Egypt in your heart. We still got the old mindsets. We got saved. We came, we came out of Egypt, but we're not entered into the promised land yet because we're still fighting, we're still fighting mindsets. We're still fighting things that are holding us behind and holding us back all the time. We take two steps forward and we take one step back. 
three steps back sometimes, four steps back. And we've been going around, some, some people, you've been going around the same mountain for, for, the, for years and years, you're going around the same issues, same problems, same everything, and things need to get broken. We need to do things different. We need to think differently. The Bible, the New Testament says, renew your mind, right? And so there's things that we have to change. We don't like change. We don't like doing things differently. We're creatures of habit. But there's things we, we need to change. And we're going to continue, and we're going to wrap it up today uh, about some things that we need to change in our lives. We need to let go of some things and change some things if we're going to achieve victory in our hearts. And victory as a church, victory as a congregation, right? We've got to change some things in our lives. So Joshua chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, and it says, Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each, of the tri- from each uh, tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priest, bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be, uh, shall, shall, shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people... And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. So this is a situation that was totally out of control. We talked about this last week. The Jordan has, has overflowed its banks. It's flood time. It's now, a, it's now over a mile wide, and it's raging at 40 miles an hour. It's 15, deep, 15 feet deep in many spaces. This is a scary situation. It's frightening. In fact, we just, uh, on Saturday, we went to De Pere. We went to those, you know, where the, um, what do they call the rapids are out there? And we, were, we walked out there on the pier, and I looked down there, and I said, I could fall in here and die. And my wife, she actually grabbed my hand. She goes, no, don't. Like, <laughs> woman's been married to me a long time. But, you know, I'm not that crazy. Like, she thought, I think she was afraid I was actually going to do it just to prove to her. See, told you so. I was right. See? And it was, it, it, but it's frightening. You know, when you look at some, just some rapids and some, some torrents like that, it can be frightening, right? Have you ever done that? You're like, wow, this is really scary. We went on a cruise one time. I was staying on the back of the boat, you know, and, and you see where the propellers are. It's all like all turbulent out there. And we did the same thing. And I, and I kind of freaked myself out a little bit because, you know, my mind kind of went around. Like, I could actually do it. Like, you could actually just jump over and you would be, you know, you'd be gone. And, and my wife's like, okay, honey. <laughs> She's on the phone with the guy with the white coat, you know, come on out here. Just watch him, watch him. But it, it can get scary, right? It can get scary. So here's the deal. There are things you're staring at right now. You have a raging river between you and your destiny. Do you know that? There's things that hold us back sometimes that are scary. They appear really overwhelming and really scary. And one thing we're going to really need to do is we're going to change what you fear. You've got to change 
what you fear. What is it that's holding you back? And we've been touching on this a lot about fear. Fear is from the, the enemy, and it's, it's false evidence appearing real. It's not truthful. It's a lie. But there's lies that have attached themselves into our lives and our hearts that are very deep, and they hold us back all the time. That river was scary. They had very good reason uh, for the, to fear crossing over. Not only was there the river, but there's giants that are going to be over there in that land. And they, they really were outnumbered. They were going to have to do some really serious battle. Remember, 40 years earlier, the people of Israel uh, were afraid and didn't cross over because they saw the giants and they saw the things ahead of them and they saw the circumstances. And the whole generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, had to die out so that the nation of Israel could, could cross over. Fear is always going to be there to scare you from crossing. Always. And remember, we talked about Satan being a roaring lion. And we talked about how a healthy young lion doesn't roar. They just, they, just, they just pounce and kill and eat you. They don't bother roaring. But when a lion gets older and a lion loses teeth and it loses claws and it can't move quite as fast as it used to, there's some old lions in here. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I came here Wednesday night, did the slip and slide thing with the youth. And my, my son's like, ah, ha, 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 dad, you look like an old man out there. I am an old man out there. I don't just throw my, you, I can't just throw myself on the ground anymore like I used to and go slipping down this hill because I'll, I'm liable to break a hip. You, get, you know what I'm saying? You get to my age, you, you're, I'm, be, I'm becoming the old lion. And so you know what I do a lot? I'm now growling at everybody. <laughs> I have to growl all the time. Becoming this old lion. The devil has been declawed. He's been defamed. He was defeated on the cross. And now all he can do is just roar at you and scare you. And when he roars, just like the lions do, they roar at their prey, and the prey gets so scared they can't move, and they're paralyzed. And there's people who have been paralyzed. You've been paralyzed by fear, and they're scared, literally stiff. So when the, when the devil sees your potential and he sees uh, your, the promise, he sees your destiny, his tactic is to stand in front of that thing and just roar and just scare the living daylights out of you and cause you to be frozen. He primarily uses fear to keep the church of Jesus at bay. You know, the Bible says the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. You'll never see gates moving around and marching around. Gates stay put. We're supposed to be going against the kingdom of darkness and against those gates and defeat them and kick them down. And they cannot stand against us. And the enemy knows this. And so what he does is he, 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 cuts, he cuts you off before you get to the gate. And, and he, just, he just, before you advance and so that you don't advance, he scares you and he puts fear on you. He shows you how bad your giants are, how bad those circumstances are, how, how easily you're going to be defeated by these things. And so you don't even bother advancing. You don't even bother going against those, those things in your life. I want to give you just a couple key examples of how the enemy... There's just, just a, I'm just going to give you two examples. There's so many ways that the enemy does this and holds us back in fear. And there, there, there's things that we just put up with it too. We don't even notice it. We just get used to it. And we make excuses for these things. And I want to just give you a couple right now. A, a big way that he, that he 
hold you ever because, see, he knows, he knows that if you really reach out to people, if we as a church, if every one of us says, you know what, I'm going to do outreach, I'm going to get out there, I'm going to talk to people, I'm going to talk to my neighbors, I'm going to share the gospel, I'm going to talk to people about coming to church, I'm going to invite people to church. He knows that if you reach out to people and you invite them to church, they're going to come. He knows this. Just a couple statistics for you here. 82% of unchurched are somewhat likely to attend church if invited. Do you know that? 82% of your neighborhood, 82% of your coworkers, 82% of your friends that you live by, that you interact with every day, if you invite them, if you just simply say, would you come to church with me on Sunday? Would you come to this event that we're doing at church with me? I'd like to invite you over. 82% of them will say yes. They will come. These are well-thought-out statistics. These are research that's been done. But the reality is this. Only 2% of church members have invited an unchurched person to church in the last year. Only 2%. 82% will come if you invite them, but only 2% even bother doing that. And 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year. The devil knows this. He knows this. And he uses it. So what's he doing? He's keeping you in fear of talking to people. He keeps us in fear of doing this. We believe the lie that no one wants to come to church. And I've heard it. Everywhere I go. I've already heard it in this community. I've already heard it from people in this church. Everybody here is Catholic. Everybody? Everybody's Catholic. They won't come. You can invite them all you want, but they're going to ignore you. That's not what statistics say. Facts don't line up. Why? False evidence appearing real. It's a lie. We believe lies like this. People will not come if I invite them to church. People are not interested in the gospel of Jesus. How many of you guys have heard those things, right? Everyone's Catholic. Everybody's Lutheran. They're not going to come to church. But there's many people here this morning that you were in a Catholic church at one time or another, right? Raise your hand. Look around, please. Keep your hand up. Please look around you. I would say a good portion, maybe the majority of us have been Catholic. How many Lutherans were here? Catholics and Lutherans. Everyone raise your hand. Catholics and Lutherans. Oh, my goodness. Praise God. How about, how about us good old-fashioned heathen? You didn't go. <laughs> Look at, there's like five of us. Five of us. <laughs> Listen to me. Those of, you, those of you who were Catholic or Lutheran, if people decided they were not going to bother, I'm not going to bother inviting them because they're Catholic or Lutheran, there would be five people in this church right now. <laughs> five of us would be in this church if we bothered believing the lie of the enemy. Statistics don't match this at all. It's not reality, but fear is, feels very real, doesn't it? Whatever you're afraid of, it feels very real, but it's a lie. It's a lie. 
And so we believe all kinds of things. We believe these things that the devil knows this. So he's roaring at you and he's keeping you in fear of talking to people, fear of reaching out to people, fear of inviting people. And, and we all have all kinds of excuses. We can say, well, you know what? But I'm shy. I'm so shy. It's not my thing. Stop it. Touch your neighbor and say, stop it. Stop it. Listen, you and I are commanded to cross over these scary places. We're commanded to cross over in the name of Jesus and take our territory. And not stop at the bank and say, it's just too scary. I can't do this. I'm not going to bother. I have all these reasons. We have to stop it. We have to change what we fear. Listen to me. You have to change what you fear. And the fear of doing nothing must be greater than the fear of doing something. The fear of doing nothing has to become greater than the fear of doing something. Another example of how the church is just crippled, we just get crippled as a church, is the area of tithing. This cripples so many people. We're crippled. There, listen to me. There would be plenty of resources of every Christian tithe. Do you realize this? We could end world hunger. We could end world hunger. <laughs> I had one of my interns once get up in church to take the offering, and they said this. He got up and he says, he says, good news and bad news. The good news, this church has plenty of resources. The bad news, it's in your pockets. Ushers, come forward. <laughs> and I was under my seat, you know, like, oh, got to work on that one a little bit. <laughs> but, it, but it's actually true. There, there is no lack in the kingdom of God. There's just lack of faith. And there's a lot of fear that holds people back from being obedient, stepping out and doing what God challenged us to do. Listen, the Bible's very, very clear. In both the Old and the New Testament, tithing, giving a tenth of your income to the Lord, will open the floodgates of heaven. Open your, it'll bless you. You will be blessed. And God wants to bless you. He's waiting to bless you. It, it's the one area where the, the Lord says, test me on this one. Try it out. See if I don't pour out a blessing on you. See if you can't believe my word is true. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down your, for you a blessing until there is no more need. Woo! I like that. Till there is no more need. Other translation says, till you won't even be able to handle it. Till you can't even contain it. I'd like to try it, wouldn't you? I would like to try to contain. I'd like to, I'd like to get the place. Wouldn't you like to be the place to say, stop it, God. I can't handle it anymore. I've got so much. We have so much as a church. And just show up and say, please, let's not give this month. Because, oh, it's just, we have so much, we don't know what to do with it. We can't know what to do with it. That's what it's saying here. And you know what I call that? Abundance. More than enough. And, and so many are kept from abundance because of fear. Israelites were kept from their destiny and abundance because of fear. And many of us are kept out because of fear. But the fear 
of doing nothing must be greater than the fear of doing something. Would you say that with me? The fear of doing nothing must be greater than the fear of doing something. There's a fear of doing something. There's a fear of failure. There's the fear of, of, of liability. There's the fear of, of others, what others might say. There's the fear of how this is going to look. There's a fear of doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong, uh, saying the wrong words, doing, doing it the wrong way. There's all those fears. And so we're kept back because of fear. But the fear of doing nothing must be greater than the fear of doing something. The fear of being disobedient and doing nothing needs to become so much greater in our heart than the fear of doing something. The fear of the Lord, of not doing something, not walking in obedience, missing what God has for me, that needs to become so much greater than the fear of doing something. It has to become greater than the fear of failure and the fear of lack and the fear of whatever. Remember the story of Peter. He's sitting in the boat. And he sees Jesus out walking on the water. Remember that story? It's in Matthew chapter 14, 28 through 29. He looks up. Peter answers, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, Jesus, he says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, Jesus' words here is a commandment. Jesus commands in the command form in the Greek, come. The implication is come to me. Come out here to me. Join me where I am. But we know in the story that Peter, halfway there, something happened. In verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So in this story, we know Peter actually only went halfway. He only went halfway. He only went partway in his obedience. He actually disobeyed the Lord. And you and I, we often read the story and say, well, yeah, but, 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 but he was afraid. He tried. He tried to come, and he got afraid, and he, he began to sink. And, and, and we like to think our fear is a decent excuse for not obeying the Lord. We look at Peter, and, and we say, oh, well, this isn't a big deal. You know, at least, at least he got out of the boat. At least he, he did walk on water. He took some steps on the water. That's pretty miraculous. That's pretty amazing. And we, we make excuses, and we like to think, well, but I'm afraid to do that. Yeah, but you don't understand. If, if I start obeying the Lord and doing that, I mean, this could happen, and I don't know how, I, I can't figure out how that's all going to work out. And if I step out in faith, it could be detrimental to me, and this could be scary. And, and we make excuses, and we think it's a decent excuse, but I'm here to tell you, I'm sorry, it's not an excuse. Because fear is just simply lack of faith. That's all it is. It's actually just a lack of faith. And notice that Jesus doesn't say, good job, Peter. You took three steps. Yeah, way to go. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says in Matthew 14, 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, fear is only lack of faith. Fear is only doubt. That's what it is. That's what fear is. It's simply doubt. It's not trusting in the Lord. And it's always rebuked in Scripture. It's never justified in Scripture. Jesus, does not, Jesus rebukes Peter. He doesn't justify his lack of faith. We make all kinds of room and excuses for the sin in our lives. Now, if it was us, we'd say, wow, Peter, 
That's amazing. Peter, we'd have Peter, Peter would write a book, you know, 10, 10 steps to walking on the water, you know. Whew. We'd have him to all of our conferences. We'd say he's a great man of faith. And, and we, so often, we, we so often settle for lack of faith like this in our culture. We have a culture of a lack of faith and we don't even realize it. God, help us to not settle for part way, to not settle for part obedience, halfway going, halfway obeying the Lord. Fear is going to keep you out of your promise. It kept Israel out for 40 years prior to this. But we have to change what we fear. And the fear of doing nothing must be greater than the fear of doing something. Say that with me again. The fear of doing nothing must be greater than the fear of doing something. The fear of staying where you are, the fear of of stepping out in faith has has to be greater. And the way you shut up that roaring lion, lion is to walk right into the raging, turbulent Jordan like the Israelites did at flood stage and stick your foot right in it. Put your foot right on his neck and suffocate him to death in spite of how I'm afraid. Don't let fear be an excuse. Listen to me. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is stepping out in spite of your fear, in spite of how you feel about it, in spite of going, oh, Lord, it's okay. It is okay. If you're standing on the edge of your Jordan, if you're being challenged, I need to begin to tithe, and you're going, oh, Lord, oh, Jesus, I don't know about that. It's okay, as long as you step in spite of it. That's faith. That's faith. It's okay to stand at the, you're, you're, you know, God's calling you, go back to school, get a degree, get an education. You're going, oh, Lord Jesus, I don't know about this. I don't know if I can do that. It's okay to feel that way as long as you go ahead and step out and do it and be obedient and walk in faith in spite of your fear. And God will meet you there. He's going to part the water for you. But you have to use your faith. You've got to change what you fear and don't let it hold you back any longer. And just say no to it. Change your perspective. Forty years earlier, ten spies go out to spy out the land, and the people could not enter the promised land because of fear. Fear of a bad report. But their fear was rooted in their bad perspective. It was a bad perspective. You got, oops, sorry, I'm doing the wrong thing again. Change your perspective. Fear is, fear holds you back, and you're fearful because you have the wrong perspective. You're seeing it wrong. Absolutely seeing it wrong. Story about a guy, he's sitting in a church. There was a big storm outside, and he decides he's passing by a church, and he goes into the church, and he sits in the church to wait out the storm, begins to pray. Here comes the devil. Devil comes right down the, the aisle, sits by him, and starts growling at him and hissing at him, and the guy just keeps praying. The devil says, come on, he says, aren't you afraid of me? I'm the devil. Don't you know who I am? You should be afraid. Why aren't you running up out of this church? I'm the devil. He says, that's nothing. He says, I'm married to your (laughs) mother-in-law. Perspective, right? Perspective is everything. Numbers 13, verse 30. And 33, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, 
Let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seemed to them. These guys go, man, we can't get over there. Those those are some tall dudes over there, a bunch of Scandinavians on that side. Little Jewish men over there, you know, these little Jewish people over there on the other side going, I can't go over there, all these big Scandinavians over there. I don't think they were really Scandinavians, by the way, but they're tall guys, right? It's insurmountable. But there's, a di- there, there's these two different perspectives, isn't there? Joshua and Caleb, they're saying, we, hey, man, we can do this. We have a big God. And the spies are saying, we can't do this. We have a big problem. What are you looking at today? What is your perspective? Are you seeing the big God or are you seeing the big problem? And however you're seeing it, whatever your perspective is, that is going to control the way that you're, that, that you're viewing it. And these guys say, is it interesting what they say here? said, we seemed like grasshoppers and we looked the same to them. How did these guys know what they were thinking? I mean, they didn't talk to anyone. They're spies, right? So they talked to nobody. How did they know what they're thinking? They didn't. But because they had that perspective of themselves, they assumed that's how everybody, everybody else saw them. Because it says, and we seemed ourselves like grasshoppers. And once the spies saw themselves that way, they assumed that the Nephilim saw them that way as well. And what the spies and the Israelites actually did not know is that the Nephilim were actually probably very terrified of them. The reality was the Nephilim were frightened by them and terrified by them. In fact, if they would have gone over to the promised land, the Nephilim would have ran off and they probably could have just taken the place. Why? Because, listen to me, this this group of people has just defeated the world superpower. They annihilated the Egyptians. Egypt is basically no more. What God did in Egypt destroyed their financial structure, destroyed their infrastructure, and obliterated their army in the Red Sea. They have nothing now. In one day, in one moment in the Red Sea, the, whole, the greatest superpower army of the world was wiped out. And the neighborhood knows it. They know it. But yet their perspective was, We're grasshoppers. We're insignificant little bugs that could be crushed. And Caleb looks and Joshua looks at the giants and they knew there was no way that God couldn't win. But the people are looking and saying there's no way that God could win. There's no way they're going to be able to do this. Listen to me. The giants in your life are standing at you. They're, 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 They're standing in front of you. And how you look at them is going to change how you're going to deal with them. Yes, they're bigger than you. 
Yes, they're stronger than you. Absolutely. They could grind you under their feet like dust, but are they bigger than God? Are they, are they stronger than God? Could they, could, could they last even a moment in an arena with the Almighty? So change your perspective. You are not a grasshopper. You are not a victim. You are not powerless. You are a child of the Most High God. And he's behind you. He is for you. Who can be against you? Change your perspective. Romans chapter 8, 37 to 39 says, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. He hasn't called you to be a survivor. He hasn't called you to be a get-buyer. He has called you to be more than a conqueror, and that is who you are. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm more than a conqueror. So change your perspective. Change your perspective. The devil's making you feel like all things are impossible. But the Bible says in Matthew 19, 26, God says, with God, all things are possible. The devil's lying to you. You better decide right now who's lying to me, the word of God or the devil. Is God truthful or is he lying to me? When he says, I will bless you if you obey me in this, is he lying or is the devil lying? You better figure it out. And don't let the enemy hold you back. With God, all things are possible. With God. Is God in your life? Is God in your life? are you doing on your own? If you're here this morning, let me tell you this. If, if you came here this morning or you've been here a long time, I don't really care what you call yourself. That doesn't bother me. Those titles, I don't care. I could care less if you call yourself Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, Pentecostal, Baptocostal. I don't care what you are. God loves you. And I don't care what your background is or what church you came from. If you're not doing it with Jesus, you're doing it on your own. And you're lost. Walking in a doorway won't save you. You don't become a car because you hang out in your garage. You've got to ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life and change you. You've got to fall upon him and call upon him. And you have to say, Jesus, today, I need you to save me. I need you to come into my life and forgive me for my sins. Otherwise, listen to me, you're walking in your own strength. You're walking in your power. You're walking in your ability. You're walking in your resources, and you should be afraid. Because that's never going to be enough. But with God, all things are possible. Just close your eyes right now. If you're here this morning, you need to receive Christ. I'm going to say this prayer in my heart. And if you believe this, I'm going to say it out loud and you say it in your heart. And you come into agreement with what I'm praying right now. And you pray it too in your heart and you believe it. Everything's going to change. 
you're going to become a child of God. It's more than joining a church. It's more, it's, it has nothing to do with joining a church. It has nothing to do with whether or not you were baptized. It has nothing to do with whether or not you took communion at such and such age. And bravo, bravo, it won't get you to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the promise of Scripture. It's a free gift of eternal life. So pray this with me in your heart. Lord Jesus, right now I come to you and I know I'm a sinner. I cannot get to heaven in my own works. I cannot go in my own strength or in my own power. I deserve eternal separation from God for the sins of my life. But I believe you died on that cross for me. And so I receive right now eternal life. I receive the gift that you're offering me. And I ask you to come into my life. And I'm going to turn from sin today. And I'm going to begin to walk in obedience. I can't do it on my own. But I'm not alone. Because you promised to now never leave me or forsake me. And now with you I can do all things. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So listen, as you're moving into your next season and challenge, you're going to face giants. I wish I could tell you that when you pray that prayer, all your giants just run away from you. They don't. They stand in your face and they roar at you and they scare you, right? You're still going to face those giants. You're going to have to take your stand against enemies far too powerful for you to handle on your own, but you're not alone. And you need that true perspective of where you're fighting these giants from. See, you're not under their feet. They're under your feet in Jesus. Here's the truth of of, of who you are and the place from which you're fighting. Paul prayed for the Ephesian church that they would shift their perspective. And here's what he prayed in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 18 through 22. having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name, that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's who you are. This verse says, he put all things under his feet, and he gave it to the church. us. So where is everything? It's under your feet. It's under your feet. You are the head. You are not the tail. Change your perspective. You are not, you are not the kickball. He's the kickball. He put it all under your feet. So go ahead and stand to your feet right now. Right now, giants are standing between you and your destiny. 
and your future that God has in store for you. Can you see them? You understand what's at stake? Then what are you waiting for? Go drive them out. That's what the Bible says. Go drive them out in the name of Jesus. Drive them out. I'm going to have our prayer team come on up right now. And if you have some giants that you want to drive out, you're not alone. You have to do it alone. You can stand in prayer. You can stand with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to believe for you. We're going to believe with you that these giants are going to go in your life. If you're fearful today about something, if you're staring at things and things are holding you back, today, drive them out. And we're here to help you drive them out. So if you need to drive out some giants, come on up. Come on up and you just come up to one of these guys up here that are praying. And maybe Eric and Mary, can you come on up too and stand up here and pray for some people? We're just going to drive some giants out this morning. Drive them on out of here. Drive them out of your life. Just decide you've had it. You are not the tail. You are the head. Put them under your feet where they belong. And to say, God, as scared as I am, in spite of my fear, I'm stepping out. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to stop. That's faith this morning. Bless you guys. You can come forward. Come on up and get prayer. You can wait on the Lord if you want to pray a while, just right where you are even. And be blessed. You can feel free to go whenever you're ready. And remember, there is the meeting right afterwards also for the relationship team. Bless you guys this morning.